Hello, and welcome to the Calvary Chapel Southeast Podcast. Thank you for joining us for our summer series titled, When God's People Pray. Being consistent in prayer is a struggle for many believers, yet the Bible makes it clear that the church should be called a house of prayer. Jesus promises to do a powerful work in and through us if we would simply humble ourselves and seek his face. That's what this series is all about. Grab your Bibles and let's jump in. Good evening. It's good to be with you. Um, I'm going to do something a little different since we have a little more time. I'm going to actually read you the passage that I'm going to be speaking from, just 13 verses, from Matthew 6. Matthew 6, beware of practicing your righteousness before men to be noticed by them. Otherwise, you have no reward with your Father who is in heaven. So when you give to the poor, do not sound a trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, so that they may be honored by men. Truly I say to you, they have their reward in full. But when you give to the poor, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving will be in secret, and your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. When you pray, you are not to be like the hypocrites, For they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and on the street corners, so that they may be seen by men. Truly I say to you, they have their reward in full. But when you, but you, when you pray, go into your inner room, close your door and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you are praying, do not use meaningless repetition as the Gentiles do, for they suppose that they will be heard for their many words. So do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Pray then in this way, our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Would you pray with me? Lord um, Jesus, just reading your words is powerful. It's like, wow, it almost seems like you don't need my commentary on these things. But help us, Lord, just to grasp what it was you wanted your disciples to, to understand and lay hold of from this passage. And Lord, we don't want to just learn some new things. We want this to actually be implemented into our lives. And we want to have this kind of fellowship with you that Jesus speaks of, the kind of fellowship that he experienced. We want to have the same fellowship. Oh, Father God, we want you to be the most important thing in our lives. And we need your help. We desperately need your help, Lord. There's so much around us distracting us. We are constantly coming under the onslaughts of our enemy, and our flesh is no help. And so we do, we come before you now, and and we're so thankful that you've sent the Holy Spirit to be our teacher, to be our guide, to be our comforter, the one called alongside to help. And so we totally look to you, Holy Spirit, to communicate what you want to communicate tonight and to do a work in our midst. All for your praise, glory, and honor, Lord God. In Jesus' name, amen. I'll kind of give you a little bit of a, um, a lowdown 
where we're headed. I am going to talk from this passage, from Matthew 6, just kind of point out a few of the highlights from the passage. Um, and I don't know if most of you know, most of you know I worked in the fire service, right? And I did. I, part of my responsibilities, I did a lot of training in the fire service. And um, so how you do things in the fire service is you talk about what it is you're supposed to know and how to do it. You demonstrate it, and then you have the people do it. So, so far, unless God changes the plans, which we're totally open to, I'm just going to share a few things with you about prayer. I'm going to demonstrate to you what it is I'm talking about. Then I'm going to have you do it. Now you all feel about as nervous as I do. (laughs) Praise God, we're on the same page. (laughs) All right, I knew that would be effective. Anyway, so I am talking from Matthew 6 tonight. My, My overall title was huge, How to Pray. But my focus was really on just the heart of prayer rather than the formula. And I will talk a little bit about the formula of prayer, but the emphasis will be primarily about prayer in the context of our relationship to our Father. So we're going to be looking at these verses from Matthew 6. And I'm going to kind of change my notes around a little bit, so be a little patient with me. I mean, what Jesus is doing here in Matthew 6, as I read to you, He talks about these three specific ways that we can have an act of righteousness or practice righteousness, really a a thing of devotion to God, and that's our giving, our prayer life, and fasting. And then what he does is he kind of compares how not to do it with how he would have his true disciples do it. And so obviously our main purpose is to look at the aspect dealing with prayer. But he starts off in verse 1 and he says, Beware of practicing your righteousness before men to be noticed by them. Otherwise you have no reward with your Father who is in heaven. You ever find like you go to a passage and you think, this is a great passage. There's just like so many wonderful things in this passage. It's going to be really fun. And the first verse you read is something like this. You go, so what, you want me to tell all these people, Lord, that they're practicing their righteousness before men? He goes, no, I'm telling you that. All right, well, thanks. Anyway, it's interesting. Some of your verses, some of your your Bibles are a little different. Jesus has given us a warning. If you use the New King James, it says, take heed. If you have the NIV, it says, be careful. If you have the New Living Testament, it says, watch out with an exclamation point. Kind of like that. I thought that was cool. I'm not a, a super big fan of the message, though I see that it's value, and so I hesitate to use this because I don't want you to go out and buy one because I quoted from it. Because there's some parts of it I'm not really a big fan of, but sometimes he just kind of hits it pretty much on the head. And with this verse, he, he translates it like this. Be especially careful when you are trying to be good so that you don't make a performance out of it. It might be good theater, But the God who made you won't be applauding. And the reason he says good theater is because that word there to be noticed by men, that's where we get our English word theater from, that Greek word. So it kind of makes sense when you understand that. And the interesting thing about this this whole passage is it it kind of all fits in with the flow from the previous chapter, chapter 5. Jesus is dealing with the, the Pharisees, the scribes and Pharisees, and how they were treating um, their relationship with God. And, and basically, in, in chapter 6, three times, he calls them hypocrites. Three times. 
And we all know a hypocrite means stage actor, right? That's where we get that concept from. It's someone who's a pretender, someone who's pretending to do something. And so, but back in, in chapter 5, in verse 20, Jesus said this to us. He says, For I say to you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. Unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and Pharisees, you're not going to enter the kingdom of heaven. Did you ever read that and just go, whoa? Well, what does that mean? Well, what do I got to do then? But aren't I saved by grace? Isn't it God's mercy? Isn't it by the blood of Jesus? Absolutely it is. When I used to hear this, it used to really disturb me. And I used to think, man, there's something more I got to do. But because I wasn't understanding Jesus' point. Right? And you're probably way ahead of me right now, right? What was his point? The point was the scribes and Pharisees didn't have any righteousness. <laughs> they were pretenders. They pretended to know God. There was no true righteousness within them. And the point was is that, yeah, their fake righteousness would never get them into the kingdom. And so if we had to have something beyond them, what do we have to have? We have to have true righteousness. We have to be truly conformed. And he goes on through the rest of chapter 5 and he, he kind of interprets the way they viewed the law. And, and because they viewed the law in such a way, they thought they could keep the law. And they kind of missed the whole point of the law. Right? And so Jesus took them to a deeper level. He said, it's not just your outward performance. Yeah, you can look like you're doing good to everybody else outwardly. But it's what's in your heart. And you know, you know the scriptures. He said, you know, you've heard it's not said you shall not commit adultery. But I do. Everyone that looks on a woman to lust for her has committed adultery with her in his heart. It goes deeper. See, they thought because you can't see me sinning because it looks like I'm obeying the law, I'm looking pretty good. And Jesus said, no, it goes much deeper. And the reality is when we really look at it in that light, we all come to the realization that there's no way we can keep the law. And that's why Paul said we weren't intended really to actually be able to fulfill the law. The law was given as a tutor a tutor to demonstrate to us that we needed to find our justification by faith in Christ. He says that, he lays that out in Romans chapter 7 and Galatians, um, Galatians 3. But he also says this in Galatians 2.21. He says, I don't nullify the grace of God. For if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died needlessly. So the law was never intended to make us righteous. The only way we get righteous is by being born again of being completely transformed by the Spirit of God within us. And then we get Jesus' righteousness, and then we learn to put that into practice into our lives. And so in this chapter, he's dealing with those three things that we can do to put the practice of righteousness into our lives. Three ways we can tangibly demonstrate our devotion to God, demonstrate our faith in God, and our loyalty to God. So we'll skip down to verse 5, because we want to actually just deal with prayer tonight. So he kind of takes that same warning he gave in chapter 1 and he applies it specifically to prayer in verse 5. He says, when you pray, don't be like the hypocrites. Don't be like the pretenders. Don't be like the stage actors. For they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and on the street corners so that they may be seen by men. Truly I say to you, they have their reward in full. If that's all you want is to be noticed by other people, then that's what you'll get. Pretty empty reward. So the whole idea of this idea, too, of praying on the street corners, it's, it's like they had to kind of set themselves up to be at the street corner at the time of prayer. 
you know, they had the designated hours when they would pray. So they had to get out there and get, in their, get into position. So they just happened to come to the most traveled place in the city at the hour of prayer so that they would be seen. For them, it was a performance. It wasn't really praying. It was about putting on a show and not really worshiping God. Um, we did go to Israel with Ryan. And I don't know if you remember this, but halfway through the flight, this guy got up and he started changing, doing all these interesting things, <laughs> putting on different clothes. And he wrapped his arm with his, with his leather band. He put this phylactery on his forehead, took this prayer shawl out and stood in the middle of the aisle and prayed. And I just thought, man, praise you, God, that I live in the new covenant, that I could just sit here in my chair and talk to you, <laughs> that I don't got to do all this weird stuff and make a scene a spectacle of myself in front of everybody. But that's what these guys were doing. And it was, it was just, they just wanted to be seen. And you know, the honesty, I mean, unfortunately, this, this can creep into us. And Jesus says, beware of this. Beware of letting this kind of attitude creep into you. Because then you'll miss it. You'll miss everything. We have a real God who is alive. And we can really talk to him. And really interact to him. And if I let my fleshly pride creep in and do it just because, hey, you, th- you thought I did a good job. I mean, what a waste, right? What a disappointment for me <laughs> to have spent my time like that. Now, I don't think most of us would actually enter into prayer with this kind of self-seeking adulation, the praise of man, this ostentatious display of pride. Like when we come on prayer on Saturday evenings, I don't think most people come, hey, I'm really going to blow their socks off tonight. Wait till they hear what I pray. You know, I don't think we come like that, right? Most of us are we're feeling timid, a little bit intimidated, a little bit anxious. You know, we really want we want to be in the presence of God. We want to experience His presence, but we're more in, we're more aware of the people around us, and it's really difficult. The interesting thing is is that pride can be just as harmful and debilitating to our prayer life in this much more subtle way. Because the issue is, I'm still more concerned about what you think of me than I am about what God thinks of me. And I think the only way we can overcome that is just do it. We just got to come together and pray. And we have to be very understanding with each other. Very patient, very trusting. Not judgmental. We need to give people space to grow. I mean, God is the focus, right? God is what we want. We don't want to limit God in any way in our lives. We don't want to limit what he does in our midst. I mean, our lives are going away like that. We want to make the most of what's left of them. Some of you don't know that, but I'm almost there. I know it. Life goes like that. And so that feeling of that you just don't know how to pray, it's just not going to be good enough, that's still this debilitating thing. And I think our flesh brings it on. The enemy knows our weaknesses. He knows the things that will get to us, and he shoots those little darts at us. We have to recognize that. We have to recognize that and take up our shield of faith and put out those fiery darts, right? But I would also say this, and I think this is where Jesus is going with this. The best way for it to become easier for us to pray in this public setting is for us to pray in our private setting. I really, I really believe this, and I'm not saying that I do it. That's what a terrible thing to have to talk about, something like this, because you have to face up to your own failures and weaknesses. 
But the best way for us to learn how to pray together as a body of Christ is for all of us to be totally dedicated and committed to praying privately. You know, this is what Jesus said, right? In verse 6, he said, When you pray, go into your inner room and close your door and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Now, Jesus isn't saying that we can't pray in public and we can't pray as a collective group, right? He prayed in public a lot. And if you go through the book of Acts and look at all the times that the church came together and prayed and all the times God honored their prayer and all the powerful things that occurred as a result of them coming together and praying, then it's obviously okay for us to pray together as a group of people. But Jesus is saying that we need to pray and we need to go into a private place. We need to have time alone when we pray. This was his life, right? He often went away to pray. He often got up early in the morning when it was still dark. He often went up to the mountain. Even in Gethsemane, he went off by himself. Like someone pointed out, he didn't do that as an example. He did that because he needed to be alone with the Father. And if the Son of God needed to be alone with the Father, how much more do we need to be alone with the Father? And this is the thing. This is, a, this is actually just such an exciting, exciting verse. And I don't mean, I'm not an expert in the Bible, okay? I, I know a little bit of Greek, just enough to get me in trouble. And so, and I only say this with trepidation because I do follow this Greek scholar and he often points out people who make mistakes when they talk. I don't think he'll ever see this or hear me, so I'm probably safe. But I still have to throw that disclaimer in there. But in the NIV, you're, it says, pray to your father who is unseen. And I think that's a little unfortunate. Most of the other translation says, pray to your father who is in secret. And I'm going to read to you a, a pretty technical definition, so be patient with me, to explain why I think that's not a, a really good representation of what's being said. It says, this, the prefix to, tau omega, forces a slightly different role on the first use of ento crypto. That's in the secret. Those are the Greek words for in the secret. It says, here it is descriptive of the Father. The hiddenness of God in heaven does not make a good fit. It is God present, even in the secret place chosen for prayer, which makes for good contrast with the focus on the people to watch out for in verse 5. See, another person, that was John Nolan. It comes from the New International Greek Commentary of the Greek New Testament. And another commentator put it a little simpler like this. Prayer is a command. Prayer is not simply desirable, but necessary. In verse 4, the giving of alms is said to be in secret, and the Father is said to see in secret. But here, we have the interesting expression, your Father who is in secret. The secret place will exclude other people, but not God. He is there in the secret place. You know, in, in verse 5, the hypocrites were seeking to go to pray in a place where they would be seen by others. In verse 6, the true disciple of Jesus is going to a secret location where the Father is waiting to meet with him. Can you lay hold of that? I don't know where you go to pray. I mean, a lot of commentators are debating about what the inner room was. That, that wasn't the point. The point was, find a place where you can be by yourself. Find a place where you're not worried about what other people are thinking about you. 
Find a place where you can honestly tell God what's happening with you and you're not concerned, oh man, if somebody hears that, that's going to be the end of me. You, know, you need to find a place where you can go and be alone with God. And, then it, and if you have that place, as you go to it, realize that God is already there waiting for you. And see, and that means something more than just his omnipresence. Right? We know he's everywhere. And so that's not what Jesus is trying to say. He's not trying to say, well, God's there because he's omnipresent. He's present everywhere. What he's saying is the Father is waiting to spend time with you. I mean, what a powerful thing. Like, I've read through this many times and, and missed it. God wants to be alone with me. He wants to be alone with you. Do you want to be alone with him? And I, I think you do. He's waiting for us to meet with us in secret. This is probably the actual most important point uh, that I'm going to make tonight. I think if we could really lay hold of this, if we could really grab the fact that God wants to be with us, spend time with us, he will visit with us, he will make himself known to us, it'll, it'll change our lives if we make this a daily practice. It will absolutely change our lives. And, and it kind of fits so much with where God has been speaking to me lately in my personal life. I mean, the thing he's been saying to me more than anything is like, what's your main objective in life? And it, it comes back to what? We all know what the main objective is, right? Because Jesus told us what the greatest commandment was. And in you know, Mark 12, responding to the scribe who asked him what the greatest commandment was, Jesus said, this is the greatest and foremost commandment. The Lord our God is one Lord, and you shall love the Lord with all, Lord your God, with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. Second is like it, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no greater commandment than these. There is no greater commandment than these. And I can't think of a better way for me to pursue this than to be committed to spending time alone with my father. I mean, do I really want to love him? Is he really what I want to pursue? The thing is, there is one thing about God, though, is God doesn't take second best. He doesn't play second fiddle. And so at times, I mean, he puts us in situations that are difficult, that are hard, and he does it for our own best interest that we'll be motivated to seek after him. And this is what Jeremiah 29, Ryan quoted it very well the other day. I'm not trying to correct that. I was already going to use it. But this is Jeremiah 29, 10 through 14. This is the last two tribes in Israel getting ready to be taken away to Babylon, right? I don't have the clock up there, so I've got to watch. Being ready to take away to Babylon. And this is what God said. This is my reason why I'm doing this. You have been disobedient. You have defiled. You have defied me. You've done all the things I told you not to do. But this isn't just about punishing you. This is about discipline. In verse 10, he says, For thus says the Lord, When 70 years have been completed for Babylon, I will visit you and fulfill my good word to you to bring you back to this place. For I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for calamity, to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. You will find me, and find me when you search for me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord. I mean, sometimes it's not really what we want, right, if we're honest? 
mean, I had to just face up to this like for the last few weeks since I've been preparing for this. God, am I really seeking after you because you're really what I want? Am I really willing to give up everything else? And at times I had to say no. So please change me. Please change me. Because any time that that isn't my number one objective to know God and to seek after him, I'm being ripped off. This life is going to be over. And we're going to be standing with God in heaven. And we're going to think, man, why did I do all those things I did that were such a waste of time? You know, I want to be very, very purposeful about this at this time in my life. And I would also challenge you to also make a plan for how you're going to do this. And I, I realize for most of you, this is going to be extremely difficult. And I would even say, try to set aside an hour every day. And you're going, whoa, back up, buddy. An hour every day? I got kids. I got a job. I was reading a book and the guy said, how bad do you want it? How bad do you want to know God? How bad do you want to be in his presence? And really the reality is that it will only work for some of you, like if you're married and if you have kids, if you work together. It's like, okay, this is my time. Okay, this is your time. I'll be with the kids. Now you be with the kids. If you can only get a half hour in, half hour in, you'd be surprised how fast time goes. But really, what is more important for us? What in life is more important than being alone with our God? I can't think of a single thing, although I seem to find things every single day. But when I stop and think about it, I mean, I, I just felt really challenged by Jesus. And going back to what Jesus, our Lord and Savior, the one who died on the cross for us, is telling us, is that we need to pray. And we need to have an ongoing practice of getting alone with the Father in prayer. And I, again, I'll, I'll repeat myself. I'm, I'm totally convinced that if we do that individually and when we come together as a body, most of that intimidation we feel, most of that um, hesitation, I mean, because we'll have learned to hear, we'll have learned to be in his presence, and we'll know, and we'll, our hearts will be turned to him. I'm not coming here to worry about what any of you think about me. I'm coming here to let him do his work in us. So that we'll be the people he wants us to be and accomplish the things he wants us to accomplish. And I hate even saying that. Because I'm like you. I'd rather just go live my life and be comfortable. And when you get involved in actually doing what God wants to do, it starts to, you know, it starts to get hot. The enemy doesn't like it. He starts to shoot a lot of darts at you. A lot of friction happens. There's a lot of issues come up. And I know for some of you, I, I, I get it. I was young once. I know it's hard to believe, looking at me now. But I was young once. I had, my kids were little, and now they're here grown up. Two of them anyway. <clears throat> so I know it's hard. But I know it can be done. And I know this is what God wants us to do. So the first thing that Jesus deals with is don't be like the hypocrites in the sense that prayer is just about looking good for other people. You know, and make a commitment to be alone. Your God is waiting for you in a private place. The second thing he says in verse 7, he says, when you are praying, don't use meaningless repetitions as the Gentiles do, for they suppose that they'll be heard for their many words. And the reality is here is that Jesus is saying, you know, these people don't know who they're even praying to. They don't know what God they're praying to, and they don't know if that God's going to give them any assistance. So they'll throw out all kinds of words, and they'll talk to all kinds of gods. And he, what he's saying to us is, but you're not like that. You're not like that because your father knows 
what you need before you ask him. Verse 8. Don't be like them, for your father knows what you need before you ask him. Obviously, the implication here is that if that God knows our need, he doesn't need to be persuaded to meet our need. But we kind of feel like he does sometimes, right? Does, does he really know my need? Yes, he does. Is he really on my behalf? Is he really out for my good? Yes, he is. I'm just going to read you a couple of scriptures, and I know you know these scriptures really well. But just think about these scriptures for a minute. Let it sink in. I always quote Romans 5, 8, but I'm going to read the whole paragraph, 6 through 10. It says this, For while we were still helpless, 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 at the right time Christ died for the ungodly, ungodly, For one will hardly die for a righteous man, though perhaps for the good man someone would dare even to die. But God demonstrates his own love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through him. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son. Much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. I mean, when Christ went to the cross and died for us, we were helpless, ungodly, sinful enemies of God. And I used to think of this, well, I wasn't even born yet. So how could he he have done that for me? Because God's omniscient. God saw all of my life way before it ever existed, saw all the sinful things that I was involved in, and he sent Jesus to the cross to pay for it. Well, I didn't even care about him. And in fact, when he came and saved me, I was still in that state of mind. Didn't really even care he existed. Yet he demonstrated his own love toward me and toward you. And that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Paul goes on to expound on this in Romans 8 and 32. It says, He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him, up, delivered him over for us all, how will he not with him also freely give us all things? He didn't spare his own son. So do I think he's going to be hesitant to meet my needs? He didn't spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all. And then, of course, Matthew 7, 11, which we know very well. If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give what is good to those who ask him? Let me ask you, I mean, do you really know how much God loves you? Do you really know how much God loves you? I mean, I always struggled with this. My wife and I had gone through this for so many years. She's always telling me how much God loves me. Yeah, yeah, but all I could still think of is just my unworthiness. I was much more sinful than her, so <clears throat> much harder for me to grab hold of it. But I would, I would challenge you to do this, you know. Meditate on Psalm 139 sometime. Really meditate on it. Really think it through. See, God made you. God designed you specifically. God formed you purposefully. In his mind, he made you. There's nobody like you. You're really unique. You're really an individual. And God loves what he created. He loves you. He loves you so much, he sent his son to die for you. Now, the problem always is, is that, you know what? We're not worthy of salvation because of our sinful nature and our active participation in the rebellion against God. We're not worthy of it because of that, because we have sinned against him. Yet, we are worth saving because we are very valuable to God because we're his creation. 
So we're, you're valuable. I mean, if you don't get the fact that you're valuable because Jesus died for you, get it. Didn't work, did it? Well, I tried. <laughs> I mean, we really need to lay hold of that. And obviously the, the thing that we all know, John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. I mean, that's just not this verse that we're all familiar with. I mean, think about the depth of that truth. That's how much God loves us. So in light of all that, Jesus tells us later on in chapter 6, I didn't read it, but he says that we are to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And if we do, all these little things that we need, have need of, will be added to us. God our Father will meet our needs. The question is, what are our true needs? See, and I was thinking about this whole thing because I know sometimes we feel like, well, he's not really meeting my needs. And I don't want to say that out loud, but I know sometimes we feel like that, right? And the question is, what are, what are my needs really? He promised that if I sought his kingdom first, he would meet my needs. And so I was thinking about this, and I couldn't help but think of Paul and Silas. Right? Here are these two guys. They're out in Paul's second missionary journey in, in Acts 16. And they're trying to get over to Asia, and the Holy Spirit keeps telling them, no, you can't go there. So Paul finally gets his vision at night in a dream, right? Vision is this guy on the shores of Macedonia calling him over. So they go. And they're up in this town, the city of Philippi. And it's interesting because here they are in Philippi. And this wasn't part of my notes, but throw it in. They're going by the riverside to pray. So they're praying in public. So it's okay to do. They're going to this, by the riverside to pray. And they meet a, a group of women there. And they start interacting with them. And one of the women that says, it's a fascinating verse. Has God opened her heart to receive the Lord? Her name was Lydia. You guys all know the story. So Lydia comes to the Lord, her and her household are baptized. Then while they're going back to the river and back and forth, there's this other lady there who's got a, a spirit of divination. And the it, fascinating thing is she keeps saying the right things about Paul and Silas, but it just really annoys Paul. He's just really annoyed. And one day he just can't take it and he turns and casts out the demon. And that really ticks off the people that are using this lady to get a lot of money. So they raise up this riot, right? You guys know the story. And so they come and they take Paul and Silas and they rip their clothes and they beat them with rods. They beat them with rods. Imagine someone beating you with a rod right now. See, sometimes I don't get it. I read this stuff over and over again and it's like, ah, oh, okay, no big deal. You got beat with a few rods. Anybody can take that? No. Not anybody can. They're beating them with rods. Then after they're done beating them with the rods, they throw them into prison. Not only do they throw them into prison, they throw them into the deepest, darkest part of the prison and they put shackles on them. Now here I am thinking, I'm serving the Lord. I'm seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. He's supposed to be meeting my needs. I'm sitting in prison just having gotten beaten with rods. If anybody was seeking the Lord, seeking first the kingdom of God, it was Paul, right? What do you think he was, do you think he was sitting in prison going, man, God's not meeting my needs. And he said he'd meet my needs. I followed him. I did what he said he wanted me to do. My back's bleeding. I'm sitting in prison. What's this all about? This ain't, this ain't what God promised. Is that what Paul and Silas were doing? No, we know. We can't believe it. We know it so well, but it's still just, it has to blow our minds. It's midnight, and they're praying and singing hymns of praise to God. They're not saying, oh, God's not meeting my needs. They're saying, oh, God, we're so thankful to you that you've given us this opportunity to witness to you for you and suffer on your behalf. I mean, God is so pleased with what they're doing. There's a major earthquake, right, in the, the 
you, the prisons opened up, their shackles fall off. But they don't leave, they stick around. And they bring someone else to Christ because they're seeking first the kingdom of God. All I'm saying is sometimes, I think especially because of us, and I love America, I do, I love America. I think we're going in an unfortunate direction right now. But America has been a wonderful country. But I think because of the blessings that we've had, sometimes we, our ideas of what needs are are not God's ideas of what needs are. And I'll say this, our absolute 100% biggest need of all is just to be with God. It's our relationship with him. And I always think of Hebrews eleven six. right? You guys all know the verse. It says, without faith, it is impossible to please God, right? But those who come to him must first believe that he is and that he's the rewarder of those who seek him. What's the reward? Finding him, right? That's the reward, finding him. But it's not easy. It's difficult, right? So Jesus wants us to pray. He wants us to set a time, a time, a, yeah. You know what I'm trying to say. What am I trying to say? Thank you. Set aside a time to be alone with the Father. He wants us to get to know him. But what do we do when we come to that time? What do you do when you come to your time of prayer? And there's been lots of things thrown out there over the years that are good. I used to use the Acts model. You guys know the Acts model? Adoration, confession, thanksgiving, supplication. That was good, but a while back, a few years back now, quite a few years back, God really spoke to me and said, um, <clears throat> excuse me, Mike, but uh, I did give you a method to pray. <laughs> Being a little sarcastic, sorry. <laughs> but it, it's weird, right? Because Jesus' disciples came to him and said, Lord, teach us how to pray. And he said, okay, this is how you pray. And here in Matthew 6, Matthew records a bigger ver- version of the same thing. Jesus said, when you pray, pray then in this way. And what he's not saying is just recite this prayer over and over again, although it's not, not wrong to do that. It's not a bad thing to do. But what he, what he gives us in the Lord's Prayer, I'm throwing out to you, is basically a template. It's an outline of things to pray for. And so when you come to that time of the prayer and you don't know what to do, start with this. And I think my time is about out, fortunately for you. So what I'm going to do really quick, and... My wife said not to say this because you all know that I'm not accomplished in prayer and I, I'm not the prefer, perfect person to follow. She said, I don't need to make a disclaimer, but I am anyway. I'm not saying do this because I'm so good at it, but I'm going to give you an example of how I use it because then I'm going to ask you to turn around and break up into groups of two or three and do this yourselves. Now, the difficulty with the Lord's prayers, we're so used to just the, the titles, but I've, I've discovered this. As I've prayed through it, God has taken things like the whole first part, the first three um, stanzas are, are just all about God, right? But I found that as I pray for his kingdom to come, he has given me specific ways to pray that for specific people and specific events. So I don't just say your kingdom come. You know, although I do say that at times. So what I'm saying, what I'm challenging you is I can't really lay it all out for you tonight, but if you take this prayer and you work with it and you pray every day with it, you're going to see how God will expand it. And now you've got a track to follow, a track to run on, and God is going to use it in ways I think that most of us don't know. Many of you are already doing this, and I don't want to assume that you're not. But I do think this is what Jesus has given us as an outline for how to pray. And I would say this with the kingdom, though. Well, let me, let me just go through this with you real quick. Like, so when I come to God, like I used to come to God and go, okay, I'm going to pray. All right, well, God, you know I have a lot of needs, and so 
You know what those needs are. And I'm not saying that's bad, but I I always felt lost. But now when I come to God, I come to God and say, Father, you're my Father. And sometimes I have to remind myself, you're my Father in heaven. And Lord God, you came to me and you made yourself known to me. And I can call you Father, not because I'm so great. I can call you Father because of what you did in my life. And sometimes I even rehearse that day. I say, I, I, just, I still remember God when I was just living completely for myself, doing my own thing. I didn't even care if you existed. And you came to me and revealed to me the condition of my life. You came to me and told me, you know what, Mike? You're my enemy. You are opposed to me. There's only two types of people, Mike, in the world. Those with me and those against me. And you are with the group against me. And because of that, you're, you're on your way to hell. And then you were so great, God, in your providence that not only did you come and reveal that to me through the work of your spirit, but you also had my sister there to share with me the gospel message. Just happened to be there. Just happened to be in the house. And she shared with me, Lord, you had her share with me how Jesus died on the cross for me. And because he took on my penalty, because your wrath was poured out upon him, because he bore my sins and his body on the cross, Lord, and because I surrendered my life to you, I am now your child. You made me your child, Lord. And I'm so thankful that you have done that. Lord, you have sent the spirit of your son into my spirit, by which now I cry out, Abba, Father. You are my father. You are my daddy. Term I don't like to use, my wife likes to use it. But that's the term. That's how intimate you are with me, God. And I'm so thankful for that. I'm so thankful for what you've done in my life. I'm so thankful that you made me your own because I could have just went my own way, lived my own life, died, and gone to hell. But you loved me so much you didn't let that happen. You came and made sure I heard the news, that I heard the gospel, and you made me your own. And so, God, because of that, I'm so thankful. And I give you all the praise and the glory and the honor. And, Lord, I ask that your name be lifted up, that your name be honored, that you be exalted, Lord. I ask that you be exalted in my life. Even today, as I go through and live my life, be exalted in my life, Lord. Help me not to live for myself today, but help me to live for your kingdom, for your plans, for your purposes. May you come and rule and reign over me today. And may your will be accomplished in my life. And Lord, while I'm at it, let's pray that for the whole world. Let's pray this actually be, is accomplished in the way that you want to accomplish ultimately, God, that you wrap up this rebellion once and, once and for all, that you end this rebellion, God, and that you are exalted back to your place of honor and glory, and that you, Jesus, actually come to this earth and reign on the throne of David in the city of Jerusalem. Oh, Lord God, would you come and do that? Would you bring those things together? And may your will really be accomplished on this earth as it is in heaven. Literally, may it be done. Oh, God, but I get it. You're holding back because you want people to be saved. You're patient, God, because you're not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And so, Lord God, would you raise up people? Would you send out laborers into the harvest, Lord God, that they would share your truth, your good news with people so that all those who are going to be saved would be harvested? And Lord, if you have to, use me. Help me today even to live my life in such a way, God, that I'm willing to share the gospel with whoever you bring my path. Because, Lord, I want all who are going to be saved to get saved because, Jesus, I want you to come back. These aren't just words. I literally want you to reign on this earth. I want this rebellion to be over with. I want you to complete all that you have 
established all that you have coming. I want it to be done. And so, Lord, give me today what I need to get through this day to live for you the way I need to live for you. If you need provisions, ask for provisions. Well, I need spiritual help, Lord. Give me the spiritual help I need today, Lord. That I'll live for you in such a way today that tomorrow I'll be ready to meet you. And God, help me to walk in the forgiveness that you've given to me. Help me not to ever forget, God, how much you've forgiven me. Help me never to be like that unmerciful slave who was forgiven all that stuff and didn't forgive his other fellow slave just a little bit. Teach me, Lord, how to walk in your forgiveness. And Lord, lead me away from any kind of temptation that the evil one would seek to bring in my path. Lord, steer me clear from all of those things. God, I don't want to fall. I don't want to go down a path you don't want me to go down. So lead me out of that path. Okay, simple way to pray. But as you do this, I found that God continually takes me on different directions. So did you kind of get the, the feel for that? You feel like you're comfortable with doing it? I wasn't sure what that response was. All right. I know this is hard. This is awkward. But we're going to become people of prayer, right? When God's people pray, God wants to hear from you. And so I'm going to ask you right now to stretch yourselves a little bit. And probably for this kind of situation, if it's better for you to be with somebody you know, be with somebody you know. If it's better to be with somebody you don't know, then find somebody you don't know. To find a situation where you feel comfortable and practice praying through this prayer for the next 15 or 20 minutes. Thanks for listening to this week's study. If you're ever in the Portland area, we would love to have you visit us for one of our services. For more information about our church, you can visit our website at ccseportland.com. We hope you'll join us next week as we continue in our study together.